have a Bible, I invite you to uh, turn there. If you don't have one, that's okay. There's one in the pew or it'll be on the giant Jesus iPad, as we like to call it here. And uh, Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. But Christmas is this really simple thing, right? It's about a baby who has come to save the world. It's a very simple thing. The Messiah, the Son of God, has come in human form to save us, and we've complicated it into all these crazy things, right? I mean, gift-giving, traditions, and I love gift-giving, and I love traditions and plays and lights and all kinds of things. And it's like like we've kind of overshadowed Christmas, and we're not even sure what the real meaning is. We've turned it into what I like to call a a marathon of gift-giving, and I I get caught up in it. I'm a gift-giver. Uh, I love to do that sort of stuff. But have you ever thought about the song, The 12 Days of Christmas? Let's just think about that for a second. 12 drummers drumming. I'm going to give this as a gift to my true love, right? I'm not so sure this is going to go over well. Are they, Are all the drummers playing the same song? Are they playing the same beat? Are these, what kind of drums are these? Um, is it a drum kit? Is it just one drum? What if my true love doesn't like drums? This is going to be a bad gift. Where do you put 12 drummers drumming? Then there is, you know the song, maybe, and sometimes it's a good quiz, right? You're like, oh, are we going to be quizzed on the 12 days of Christmas? So after the 12 drummers drumming, it's 11 pipers piping, right? And as if the drums weren't loud enough, now you have pipers piping, and I feel sorry for your neighbors, right? And these 11 people are coming in and, you know, just and, and doing that. Then after the 11 pipers piping, we have 10 lords a-leaping. So I don't know where you're going to find these lords that are leaping. And and now you got 12 drummers, 11 pipers, and these 10 lords that are leaping. Uh, if you live in an apartment, I just want to know how this is going to work, right? Even most houses are going to struggle to get this many people in there. And uh, like, are, are they all going to get on the elevator together? You know, and are they leaping on the elevator? I just have lots of questions about this song as I thought about it. I don't know if you think about random things like I do. And um, and then after the lords are leaping, there are nine ladies dancing. Right? Uh, that seems a little inappropriate. I'm not so sure what that means. That could go a lot of different ways. And um, I don't know if my true love wants to bring nine ladies dancing uh, home for Christmas. Um, and then we go on to eight maids a milking. Right? So we go from inappropriate to awkward. Like, do the cows come with this? Are they cows? Are they goats? Are they milking these things in my house? Like, what is happening? And who thought this was going to be a good Christmas gift? I just have questions about these things. And then you go to um, seven swans a-swimming. That seems pretty doable, right? I can find some swans, try to capture them while they're swimming, and bring them to my true love. And maybe uh, she'll be excited about those things. And then you have uh, six geese, what? A laying. Are, are they laying down? Are they laying eggs? I'm not sure, sure. And, and do you catch them in the act of laying eggs? They just like get to your house and it's like, and just lay some eggs. And I want to know how that happens there. And, um, and some of you are trying to get rid of the geese in your neighborhood, right? Uh, these these uh, Canada geese, Canadian geese that are everywhere. And so that seems, maybe that's a doable gift there. And then the part that everybody knows, right? Five golden rings. And, and you know, that seems like you could do that, right? You could go to Jared. You could go to Zales. You, you, could, you could go to Kay because every kiss begins with Kay. You could, you could do that. I mean, five golden rings seems like a lot for my true love. 
but maybe one for each finger on at least one hand. Uh, so five golden rings, then there are four calling birds. Why are the birds calling? Uh, do you have to find them while they're calling? Do they call in your house? And, um, and if you hadn't thought about this, if it wasn't loud enough with the drummers, with the pipers, the dancers, and the leapers, now you've got geese, swans, and calling birds. And I hope you like birds, by the way, because we're not over. Because after the four calling birds, right, there are three French hens. Then there are two turtle doves. We were talking about this the other day with uh, one of our groups. One of the ladies said, what is a, a turtle dove, pa Pastor? And I said, I have no idea. And I said, I guess it's a green dove that wears a shell. And uh, that could be my best guesstimation of what a turtle dove might be. And so, and then perhaps the most enigmatic phrase in the whole thing, at least for somebody like me, maybe you knew, but I had to Google. A partridge and a pear tree. Was there anybody else who's honest enough to say, I had no idea what a partridge was? Okay. All right, two honest people. The rest of y'all are just good church folks who are just going to lie and put on a good face. Um, I know some of you knew what a partridge was, but I had to look it up. It's a bird, so it's another bird, and it's in a, a pear tree. But just the way I grew up, I didn't know what a partridge was. But imagine if you got all these gifts. That would be crazy, wouldn't it? Uh, PNC, you may be familiar with PNC, PNC Bank and Financial Services. They did a, a mathematical calculation to see how much this would all cost you in 2019. And they determined that all of this would cost $38,993.59. Now that, that seems a little much, but I know some of us already spent that much on Christmas gifts, didn't you? Hopefully it wasn't that bad, okay? You had to take out a loan to get Christmas gifts. And uh, well, as I said, we as humans like to take simple things like Christmas and make them complicated, like gift giving and make it complicated. But God knows how to take the most complicated thing and make it simple enough for everybody to grasp. God knows how to take complicated things and, and, and create such a world that a child could understand who Jesus is. That no matter your age or your race or your background, you can understand the meaning of Christmas. Here is the world that has turned away from God, that has rejected God, and, and there, there are its drama, there is brokenness, there is murder, and there is racism, there are wars, there are countries that have been at war for century over land and over property and over you did this and that. And it's this spaghetti, messed up conglomeration of problems. And God says, I know how to take as complicated as the world is and provide a solution. And he does that through his son. And so as we read these verses tonight, I want to encourage you um, to not make the verses too complicated. We're going to focus on just three words here in the Gospel of Matthew and, uh, and then make some application and then be on our way. But, but I know these are familiar words. And what happens around especially religious times like this is that we even let religion overshadow, stay with me now, Christmas. The title of the message is, Who is this baby? Who is this baby in the shadows? Because a lot of people know it's Jesus, Pastor. I know that. I sing the songs. I, I know all about Christmas, but do we really? Most of us didn't know about the 12 days of Christmas until I just broke it down. And we were like, oh, man, I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about all that that deeply. I'll tell you the truth. We were up here singing Noel, Noel. And, and that verse that they, I was like, I've never seen that verse before. I'd never seen those words in my life. And I've been in church about 20 some odd years or so. 
But I was like, where'd that verse come from? I'm sure it's been there the whole time. But you know how you just kind of glance over things and you take them for granted? And so don't let these words become too comfortable. I'm going to read them to you in the Gospel of Matthew. They'll be on the screen beginning in verse uh, 18. And uh, let's begin reading. It says this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And here's the reason he's coming. For he will save his people from their sins. That's the reason for Christmas. That's the reason Christ came. So that he could save people from their sins. All of us, according to the Bible, have sinned and broken God's laws. We failed at one point or another. And we have need of being in a relationship with him. And our sins have separated that relationship and broken our world, broken relationships all across the world. And Jesus comes to rescue us from that. Then verse 22, it says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And he quotes from Isaiah, who wrote over 500 years before this was written. This was a prophecy about Jesus. In verse 23, it says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Let's pray and we'll discuss God's word. Father, help us all to pause in these moments and, and to contemplate, to hear from you. Who is Emmanuel? What does it mean for us this Christmas? And more than just a religious service and something else to do, Lord, God, this is a life-changing message. This is an eternity-changing message. And Father, I just pray that you'd help us. And I pray for you as you're there in your seat. I just want to encourage you, wherever you're at in your spiritual journey, I invite you to have a conversation with God right there in the quietness of your heart and your seat. Maybe you just want to say something like this to him and say, Lord, speak to me. Maybe some of you are going to say, God, I don't even know if you're real, but, but if you're real, God, speak to me. I just want to leave you that space to do that. Father, speak to all of us, myself included. Help me, a sinner, communicate your great truths. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. Thank you. In the back, whoever that was. Emmanuel, that Emmanuel, which means God with us. So three really simple things for tonight. And, uh, and I'm going to give them to you now up front. So that way, if you want to ignore me later, you got all three points for those of you who like that. And, um, and then we'll, we'll work through them. But it's real simple. Jesus is God. Jesus is God with us. And Jesus is God with us. You got those? Simple. We can go back one, actually. Just, uh, David, for me. Stay on that, the last part of that verse. Emmanuel, which means God with us, right? God with us. We're just going to talk about Emmanuel and those three words, God with us, for just a few moments. And again, I know it's familiar to us. Maybe you've heard it a hundred times, a thousand times, but I'm going to ask you just allow God to speak some freshness into it. And so, number one is this, Jesus is God. Before we get to peace on earth and goodwill towards men and, and people getting along and, and spreading good cheer 
and, and presence and all that good stuff, we have to remember that Jesus is actually God, God in the flesh, like the creator God, the mighty God, the true God. And, and this is a big deal. We have to understand who this baby is. This baby is God. And that's mind-blowing if you think about it, isn't it? Wrapped in flesh and in the form of a baby. The Bible tells us the, the, the verse that David and Heather uh, read for us and, and shared with us um, came from the Gospel of John, and it says this in the Gospel of John. I want to read it to you again, verses 1 through 3. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So there's this thing called the Word. It was with God in the very beginning as God is creating all the universe, and it was with God, but it was also God. We call that the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He was God. Because some people say, did Jesus really claim to be God? Yes, there are many verses about that. Here's one of them. He was God. And then it says this, verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. All things, verse 3, all things that were made were made through him. And without him, not anything that was made that was made. In other words, God was, Jesus was the one speaking and hovering over, making the stars and making reindeer and, and, and planets and, and the ocean and fish and whales and dolphins and turtle doves. I wonder if turtle doves can swim. That's just a question that I'm continually thinking about. This Since I started researching this, pray for me. Pray for me. And, uh, but, but then the verse continues. All things were made through him. And then, and then in verse 14, later on in that same gospel, it says this. And the word, so who is this word? The word became flesh. God became flesh and he dwelt or lived among us. And we have seen his glory. The glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of what? Grace and truth. And so as we think about this baby, as we think about Christ, we need to remember that Jesus is God. And this is an important thing because some people say, well, that's not true, or and that's actually what makes Christianity different, is that Jesus didn't claim to be just a moral teacher or just be some religious expert. He claimed to be God. And throughout the Bible, we see um, people worshiping him as God. And um, in the Christmas story, you know, right, angels come down and they, boom, visit Mary. And they say, Mary, you're going to be pregnant with, the, with, with, with Jesus. And, and Mary freaks out, right, because these amazing angels come to her and it scares her. But you find her falling down, but you never, say, you never see the angel saying, yep, worship me. You always see the angel saying, hey, get up. It's okay. Don't worship me, but fear not. And let me tell you the message. And then uh, the angel appears to Joseph. The angel appears uh, to Zechariah, uh, who is kind of uh, Mary's uncle. Then, then the angel appears out in the, in the field with the shepherds, right? And the shepherds are scared out of their minds, and they freak out. Do they ever worship the angels? No, they don't. The angels are always saying, nope, get up, don't worship me. But here is Jesus, and we find in the Bible Jesus being worshipped and adored and people giving their allegiance and their lives to Jesus. And so this is something very different. In fact, uh, later on in the Christmas story, you know, the, the, the Magi, some people call them wise men, some people call them kings. And um, they come and they present these gifts to Jesus. And the Bible says they presented their gifts and they bowed down and they worshiped him, reminding us that Jesus is actually God. And so that's an important thing. Other places in the Bible, Jesus said, calm the storm. There's the, the, the disciples were on this boat, this raging storm. Jesus walked out on the water. And he said, peace be still to the storm. And when the disciples saw him calm the storm with just those three little words, peace be still, it says they, they fell down and they worshiped him because he is God. He's not just a man. He's not just a good teacher. 
After Jesus had died on the cross and then he rose again and he showed himself to all these different people, 500 people, there was a disciple named Thomas. And in the Gospel of John, uh, Thomas had a hard time believing. Everyone else had seen the risen Jesus. He's like, hey, I'm not seeing it until I believe it. I don't blame him necessarily. And then Jesus showed up to him and he showed him. He says, hey, Thomas, look, look at my hands. You, you can touch my hands where, where the nail marks were. You can go ahead and touch them if you would like to see that. And then this is how Thomas responds in the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 28. Thomas answered and he said, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. What is he saying there? He's saying, Jesus, you are God. It's this complex thing, right? The Trinity, how do we explain that? But it's true. Now, you might be saying, maybe that would make, you know, th this might make sense in a pantheistic um, culture. If, if they were pantheists, you guys know what pantheists are? Like maybe like someone like Krishna who says, hey, everybody's God. We're all God in here. You're God. I'm God. The table's God. Your neighbor's God. Reach over, touch your neighbor. You get to know him a little bit tonight. And as kindly as you can, tell them, I don't think you'd make a good guy. Just as kindly as you can. Don't tell them that. I don't think you'd make a good guy. Just saying, I love you, but I've tried, right? Have you ever tried to control everything and watch it all fall apart? I have. If you got kids... You know you're not God. You can't hardly get them in a car seat. And they weigh like 15 pounds. You know, you know you're not God. And, and so maybe in a pantheistic culture they would say, hey, everybody's God. But no, that's not the culture that this happened in. Or maybe even in a polytheistic culture. A polytheistic culture says there are all these different gods, like Roman gods, Zeus, Hermes, uh, Hercules, all these different, well, you know, if he's a demigod or whatever. And... Um, and, and there are different gods. That would make sense because Jesus could claim to be God. And he'd just be one of the many gods. But Jesus came to the Jews. And if you know anything about the Jews, they are monotheist. And they, they worship the God of the Bible who says there is only one God. In fact, the Jews used to repeat this phrase found in the Old Testament called the Shema. And they would repeat this all the time. They teach it to their kids. And this is how, how it goes. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And they were big. They were fierce in that. They, they would rather die than worship any other gods or say that, 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 that there's a human being that's a god or, or, or falsely worship. But you know the Ten Commandments, right? Have no other gods before me. That's the first commandment, right? Don't worship any other gods. And so here is Jesus claiming to be God, saying that he's God to these people. And this is a big deal. If you're familiar with the Bible, there's a story about three Hebrew boys who were kidnapped and, and taken into exile far away in a different land called Babylon. And these three boys, along with another guy named Daniel, and I, I like that guy. I think he's an awesome character in the Bible, just saying. And, um, and, but these three guys in, in this Babylonian culture, they, they were forced to bow down and worship this golden statue. And those three Hebrew boys said, man, our parents taught us from jump. There's only one God. We can't bow down to anybody else. Anything, we can't worship anything else, man. Whew, that's some serious stuff for the way we grew up. And, and the king said, if you don't bow down and worship this statue, you'll be thrown into a, a burning furnace. That's pretty scary. You know, those three young Hebrew boys, probably teenagers did. They didn't bow down. They were thrown into the furnace. And, and so the Jews were serious about calling anybody else God. And, and then here is Jesus coming, claiming to be God in the flesh. This was a big deal. And so it's important for us to remember that, that Jesus is, is saying, hey, I am God. One of the other things that Jesus did that proved he was God is he actually forgave people's sins. 
Now just imagine that for a second. If my friend Donnie over here went out in the parking lot and, and punched um, Chris, and, um, and he punched him out there in the parking lot, and, um, and then they were about to get into a fight, and I walked up to him, and I'm like, hey, Donnie, hey, Donnie, Chris, calm down. It's okay. Donnie, I forgive you for punching Chris. You would be like, what? What are you doing in our business, man? This is between me and Chris. You can't, you can't, I got to forgive him, right? Unless you're God. And unless God is saying to us that every sin is really against him, that anytime we hurt someone else or speak nasty about someone else, we're actually wounding his creation and hence wounding him, then it would be right for God to say, hey, if you punch somebody, I forgive you. And see, Jesus did that, and it, and it freaked the people out. It freaked the Jews out. They're like, you can't forgive sins because that would mean you're God. And Jesus said, yep. And that was part of the reason why they ended up crucifying Jesus because they said he blasphemy. Blasphemy means claiming to be God, speaking against God. And so if Jesus is God, the simple point, Emmanuel, if Jesus is God, that means there are some serious implications for you and me. And uh, there's a writer, maybe you've heard of him, C.S. Lewis. He said there are only three options. If Jesus really is God and not just a moral teacher, not just a good religious guy teaching us a way to go, you have three options. Number one, he's a lunatic, right? Because if anybody walks around and says, I'm God, worship me, follow me, if I walked around Walmart and said, I am God, bow down before me, I'm going to take all these presents, and uh, thank you very much, and you're going to stay open a little bit later, and uh, everybody in Walmart bow down before me, I would deserve to be locked up, wouldn't I? Or I'd deserve to be on an Avengers movie wearing a green suit with some horns, and you could call me Loki, right? And, um, and so if someone walks around claiming they're God, they're a lunatic, or they're a liar, right? These are the three options, Allah says, or they're a liar. If they're claiming to be God and they're really not God, they're just saying that to manipulate you. I want you to give me more money. I want you to do something for me. And there are plenty of crazy religious zealots out there who have claimed to be God and, and got people to do all kinds of crazy things. Move down to South America and everybody drinks Kool-Aid. All kinds of things. All kinds of disgusting things, nasty things. This is how cults work. So that person is either a lunatic, they deserve to be locked up if they're walking around claiming to be God, or they're a liar and you should run away from them because they're going to try to manipulate you, or... Here's the final option. They actually are God. They are the Lord. And they, they are worthy of our adoration, of our worship, of our allegiance, and our full submission, saying, if you are God, I'll, I will follow you to the ends of the earth. I will do whatever you ask of me, right? So, lunatic, liar, Lord. That means there's implications for us. If Jesus is God, how are you viewing him? You think he's just a lunatic? That's okay. You're welcome to think that. You think he's just a liar? That's okay. You should run away from him. But that doesn't leave a middle ground for, I like Jesus. I like the Bible. I believe in Jesus. I think he's a good moral teacher. I try to do this. He is either one of those three. And if he's the Lord, then he deserves our allegiance, our, our, our surrender of our entire lives to King Jesus. And so, number one, Jesus is God. Point number two is this. Jesus is God with us. So the first point was kind of tough. Uh, second point is beautiful and softer, if you will. Jesus is God with us, the majestic God of the universe, the one who created billions and billions of galaxies, mind-blowingly huge and awesome, wants to be with you. He came for you. He came for me. Have you ever thought about that? Like he wants you. He was seeking you. He came to be with us. 
See, there's a difference between having a general experience with somebody and actually being with someone. Do you know what I mean? See, in the Bible, before Jesus came, uh, every time God appeared and, and, and was with human beings, it was a terrifying experience. He appeared with the ancient Israelites as a pillar of smoke and fire. And he led them out of slavery through Egypt. And you may be familiar with that movie, right, the Exodus, and, um, and with Moses doing that. But he was a, a pillar of smoke and fire. That's a pretty scary thing. He appeared to Moses as a burning bush. And any time God appeared in the Old Testament, it was a terrifying thing because God is holy and people, we have sinned against God. And so, man, there is a great gap between us and, and people are terrified all throughout the Bible when you see this happening. At the, at the temple or the tabernacle in the Old Testament, God appeared and came in a Shekinah glory. And so it's one thing to be around God in a general experience, but it's a different thing to be with him and to know him. Maybe I can help illustrate it like this. I heard the story about a singer. She was a good singer. Uh, you know, she sung at church. She sung for birthday parties, had a little CD, a little mixtape on the side, a little, you know, YouTube channel, did some singing. And um, But but she had an idol, a, a world-renowned, famous singer who she just adored. Man, she took notes. She tried to emulate her style, and, um, and, and she just learned everything about this person. And she said, I really, man, I, I love this singer, this famous world-renowned singer. And I, I want to be like this singer. And anytime that famous singer would come to her town and do a concert, she would go to those concerts. And she had been 15, 20 concerts, all these concerts. She said, man, I want so desperately to meet this singer. And she was able to get some backstage things, but she never could bring herself to do it. She had the opportunity. She was right there. She's like, man, I want to go over there and say hello and say, I'm your biggest fan. I study everything you do. And somebody said, why didn't you do it? She said, man, I'm terrified. I said, why? She says, I'm terrified that if I go up to her and say, I'm your biggest fan, I love you, I try to emulate my style, she's going to say to me, hey, that's awesome. How about you sing a little something for me? Let me hear you sing. And I am too embarrassed to sing in front of this world-renowned singer. I am too shy. I'm, there's no way compared to her, I'm not going to make it. And that's how a lot of us feel about God. See, that girl, she had had a general experience of God. She had been at the concert. She had a general experience. She had studied about God. Uh, she had studied about this singer. Many of us study about God, and we're around religious things. We're around Christians. But if we're honest, we're really terrified to be close to God because we think when God looks at us, he's going to call us to a God. He's going to ask us to sing about our lifestyle, and we are going to flunk. We are too ashamed to be near God. But the reason why Jesus came is so that he could be with us. And here's the beautiful thing about Jesus. The reason why Jesus came was not just to be a baby in a manger, but as we sung, he would die on the cross. And he would live a perfect life before he died on the cross. And then the Bible says this, for anyone who is willing, he would trade places, he would trade his righteousness. I like to say it like this, Jesus had all A's on his report card, 100%. We didn't make all A's. In order to get into heaven, you got to have straight A's, not 199. Otherwise, you, you're not getting in. And Jesus will trade his report card for our junkie report card. And so when God looks at us, he doesn't see us. He sees Jesus covering us. So God with us, he wants to be with us. There's a quote, and, um, and especially around religious, uh, religious times like this, Christmas times, by a guy named R. Kent Hughes. And he says, you know, we kind of get used to the Christmas stuff. We get used to church. And he says, but we have to understand that, that we have to have this personal relationship with Jesus. And he says it like this. The quote goes, it says, the truth is, even if Christ were born in Bethlehem a thousand times, but not born within you, 
you would be eternally lost. Can I just let that hang there for a second? If Christ were born a thousand times in Bethlehem, but not in you, you would be eternally lost. The Christ who was born into the world must be born into your heart. Religious sentiment, even at Christmas time, without the living Christ, is a yellow brick road to darkness. And so Jesus is God with us. He wants to be with you and me. You know, it's amazing that in the Old Testament, they could never see God's presence. They, could, they would just be blown away by his presence. But if you read the first book of the Bible, it says Adam and Eve actually sat face to face with God. The problem was sin separated us from God. And it's that, that fear, that's that terrifyingness that we know that we're sinners and God is holy and righteous. But because of Jesus, man, we can be with God. And then finally, last point is this. Jesus is God with us. Some of you are saying, Pastor, that was that was number two. I just want to tell you that was the same point. You got a problem. You spent too much time on the 12 days of Christmas. <clears throat> no, no, no. You may, maybe you missed it, right? Point number two is Jesus is God with us. Point number three is Jesus is God with us. Who did Jesus come for? He came for all of us. He came for the lowest of the low. He appeared to shepherds who were dirty, who were stinky, who were probably looked at as lower caste outsiders, um, the, the, the marginalized, the ones nobody likes. The Magi also came. The Magi had means and were wealthy. Jesus comes for all that would receive him. And I love the idea of, of how, does God send, how does God come to be with us? He comes in the most approachable form, right? A baby. What's more approachable than a baby? As God and his holiness is like terrifying and we're like afraid. He sends Jesus in the most approachable form, a baby, right? There's a little baby in here. I, I saw there's, a couple, there's quite a few babies in here and they're all very beautiful and, uh, and handsome. And, um, but when, whenever somebody brings the baby in the room, right, what do people do? Oh, the baby, right? There's very few people who are like, whoa, baby, get out of here. Go, go. You know, I mean, I know some of y'all do that, but for the most part, there's something very approachable about, oh, let me, let me, especially the ladies. You're like, let me, let me see, let me see. And uh, let me hold the baby. And so God is not appearing as a, as a giant pillar of fire and smoke because he wants to be with you and me in our problems, in our everyday life, in our family, in our finances, in our relationships. He comes in the most approachable form. And that's a reminder. God wants to be with us. And again, who is that us? It's everybody. Everybody who would receive him. The only people that are not included in that us are the people too proud to say, I don't need God. I don't need him. There were kings. There was Herod the Great who said, I don't want another king. I don't need God. I'm enough. And Jesus didn't appear to him. The angels didn't come to them. But God's appearing to all who would come to him. In fact, the Bible says in Luke 19 that Jesus had a mission. In Luke 19.10, it says Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Who did he come for? The, the lost, the broken, the down and out, whoever. I love this verse from the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verse 37. Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Sir or ma'am, child, if you're here today, 
I am here to remind you that from God, if you come to him, regardless of what you have done, regardless of your religious upbringing or non-religious upbringing, if you come to him, he will never cast you away. But you got to come to him. You got to be willing to admit your need. You got to be willing to admit, God, I have, I'm not in control. I have sinned against you and, and I know that I need you. So if you're here today and you're looking back over your 2019, you have one regret, regret you qualify. Just one regret, you qualify as the us. God came for you. And if you come to him, he will never cast you out. If you have one ounce of shame over something you did in 2019 or 2018, you qualify as us. If you look back over your life and you're looking at a decision that you wish you would do differently in 2019, that you did better, you are a candidate for us. That's what church is. Church is not a bunch of perfect people. I hate to break it to you. And if you thought you're perfect, well, that's not the place for you. And because uh, we're a bunch of broken people here at church and um, and we're just coming to the one who is perfect, who has healed us. And so this Christmas, Jesus is God. Jesus is God with us. And then Jesus is God with us, whoever would come to him. And as we prepare to kind of head our different ways, I want to leave you with just a, a closing story that I that I heard as we think about uh, this Thing. I heard the story about some prisoners in a POW camp in Germany. And, um, and as the prisoners there, they kind of didn't look upon dawn as very exciting. And you know what dawn is, right? When the morning, the sun comes up because they thought another day to be in prison, another day to be beaten, another day to be tortured, another day to be reminded that we're in prison and, and struggling. But there was a doctor there, Dr. McDonald. He was a Scottish man. And, um, and he was kind of slow and groggy, and he was being tapped and whispered to by a fellow prisoner there in the prison, and he's whispering to him. And he's like, hey, 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 come over here. Come over here. Get over here. And he's like, what, what? He's like, come over here, listen. Another prisoner had snuck in a radio, and they were listening to the BBC. And they had heard the good news that the Allied invasion of Normandy had begun, and they were victorious. And one of the other Scottish prisoners looks over at Dr. McDonald and he says to him three words in Gaelic. And in Gaelic, he says this, they have come. They have come. Victory is here. We are going to be freed. And they were whispering this, trying to keep it down. And Dr. McDonald was like, oh, no. Oh, no, this is too good news. We are going to shout this. And so he threw off reserve and he begins to shout through the prison and through the barracks. They have come. They have come. And the other prisoners like, they have come? We're going to get out of here? They have come. And they start shouting. And these prisoners who were in shackles and weak, and, and we're, they start jumping on the tables and start jumping for joy and saying, they have come. And, and, and then these rough men are beginning hugging each other. They're like, yes, they have come. Victory is here. And soon the floor and everything was going on. And the German soldiers look in the window and they see all these crazy people. And they're like, you know, well, I don't know what they're doing. Just leave them alone. They didn't have any clue yet what had happened. So now think about this for a second. Did the situation of those prisoners change? They were still in the same clothes. They were still in the same bed, nasty. They still had bruises. They still had health problems. They still were in the same walls. Those walls and those bars that were chaining them and keeping them prisoner were all still there. 
but they heard the good news that someone has come. And all those other things stayed the same, but they had a renewed sense of joy and freedom where they looked at those walls and those bars and those walls and bars were oppressing them and beating them down. They now looked at those walls like no big deal. It doesn't matter anymore. Why? Because they had come. Can I tell you, as glorious as I'm sure the Allied invasion of, on Normandy was, can I tell you about a more glorious invasion? The king of glory has come to the earth and he has shed light into every nation, into every home who would receive it. And we can walk around in the same situation with our same health and our same relationships in your same financial situation and in the same house you live in and have freedom and encouragement and hope. Why? Because Christ has come. And so as we move this week and as we prepare to close with our, our song, can I just ask you questions? Have you submitted to him? If Jesus is God, have you submitted your life to him? Have you given your allegiance to him? If he's God with us, are you working to be near him? Think about all the lengths that God went to to be with us. Some of us, like, we're, we're struggling to make time, right, to be with God. It's like, oh, man, can I get up an hour earlier? Can I get up 10 minutes earlier to read my Bible? Could you do that if God went through such great lengths to be with you? And then finally, if God is with us, do you believe that he came for you? Are you encouraged by the fact that you're part of that group? that the message and the good news has come to? And have you received that like a Christmas gift? Don't let your past hold you back because there's no sin too great. There's nothing you have done that God would want to write you out of the story. Just read the Bible, folks. It's worse than Maury Povich. I mean, it's a hot mess in there. You don't have to read but the first couple pages. You're like, wow, that guy killed that guy. That's some family that was. And God came for all those people. So you, sir or ma'am, child, are not written out of God's story because he came for us. So let's pray. And we're going to close with our song. And so if you'll join me, please, with heads bowed and eyes closed, our worship team is going to come uh, forward. As the worship team comes and we're bowing our heads, Father, we thank you that you're with us. We thank you for the message of Christmas, Lord. And God, we love to complicate it. And I pray for myself and for all of us, God, that you just continue to center us around the very simple reminder of Emmanuel. God with us. He's God. God in my situation, the king of glory, the king of the universe in my home, in my marriage, as I deal with my kids, God with us. Father, it's my prayer that you would just speak encouragement over each of us, over every family here. Lord, that we would seek to honor you. We would surrender our lives. I pray for those who are here tonight and they don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. And if that's you and you know that's you, would you just cry out to God right there in, in your seat? And maybe you just want to say something as simple as this. There are no magic words. God already knows your heart. But if you would say to God something like, Jesus, please save me. Jesus, please save me. He would hear that. And if I could help you out a little more, if you want to pray this silent in your heart, you might want to just say, forgive me, God, for my sin. Forgive me, God, for my sin. God, I believe you died on the cross. I believe you died on the cross. And I believe that you rose again. I want you to be the Lord of my life. Help me to follow you all the days of my life. And if that's you and you, you want it to be near God and not just be around God, I want to encourage you to let somebody know that you prayed that prayer and, and know that God heard that prayer. And you can become his child and you can celebrate just as those prisoners had done. And 
You can dance and stand on the tables if you want because freedom has now come to you. Hope has now come to you. Joy has now come to you. So, Father, we just thank you. And I ask the blessing over each person here. God, we lift your name high. In Jesus' name we pray.